powerfully chose to work in our lives by way of your Son, our Savior, Jesus. And as we've gathered now as your people, though it be online from various locations in our homes, we ask, O oh God, that you would walk with us now, that your Spirit would be among us in our homes and our places where we're gathering. We need you, O oh God, and so we ask your blessing upon us now. Meet with us by your Spirit. Teach us now from your Word. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. It's a real joy, a delight to be with you here today, though it be online from James North Baptist Church. And uh, this afternoon, I'll be speaking and translated at the Hamilton Karen Baptist Church, which is a congregation that meets with us on Sunday afternoons. And so if you're interested in tuning in, that will be Facebook Live. Uh, you can look up the Hamilton Karen Baptist Church and that will be at 2 o'clock uh, this afternoon, translated as I'll be preaching, Pastor Marcio, and I do that often. One of the things that can be challenging at times in Christianity, and even outside of Christianity, is being known more for what you're against than what you're for. And there was a season in Christianity, still lasting even to this day, where often people would mark or remark about what Christians are against. In a season now generation ago, often we'd be known as the people that didn't dance if you were Baptist, that didn't drink. You'd be known as the people that didn't go to movies, that didn't play cards. We'd be known as to all the things we were against instead of the things we're for. And the passage that Derek more than adequately preached last week talked about the things that God is against, the things that we're to put off, areas of sexual immorality, evil desires, areas of anger and improper attitude toward each other and the way that we act toward each other, worldly ways of living that we acted in our carnality that we're no longer to act that way as now we've been saved by God in Christ, the Spirit of God at work in our lives. We're to be a different people. We're to live a different way. God talks about in the next few verses, Colossians 3, 12 to 17, what we're for, what he's for, and in what he's for, what we're to be for, the way we're to live what we're to be marked by. Because the world should know us not as much about the way that we're not to live, but more so the way we are to live. The world should know less about what we're against and more about what we're for. The people around us who don't know Christ should understand this is what we stand for. This is what we live for. This is what we're like. And so in this passage right now, Paul's going to talk about a number of areas in life in the way that we're to live. The previous passage talked about what we're to put off, what we're to take off, what we're to remove out of our sinful nature, out of our carnality. And this passage now is going to talk about what we're to put on, what we're to have. Uh, this passage is going to talk about what we need. And so because of that, because, because we're now looking at what we need, what we're to put on, how we're to live, because that's the case, because that's what God's asked to do, he gives us some qualities to which we're to live by. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Colossians 3. They'll be on the screen. Colossians 3, beginning at verse 12. We're only looking at 12 to 14 today, 15 to 17 next week. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all of these virtues put on love, which binds them all together 
in perfect unity. In verse 12, Paul starts by saying that we are chosen, we are holy, and we are dearly loved. These terms are reflective of Old Testament terminology. Chosen is the idea of the term elect. We are God's elect. God, God has chosen to save us. In his redeeming love, he's chosen to grab a hold of our lives. We're holy. It's actually a passive word. This isn't you be holy. This is God has set you apart. He's made you holy. This is a passive word. God is the active agent. God has made you holy. And the same is true with loved ones or beloved. You are loved ones of God. You are beloved of God. God has lavished his love on you. And God has taken these Old Testament covenantal images that he grants to Israel, his people, as he saved them, and he now takes them and says, I'm transposing these onto my people, the church. And you, just like in the Old Testament in the covenant, were elect, chosen, holy, and beloved. You now, my people, are the same. And as Derek talked about last week in verse 11, a variety of different people are mentioned here in Colossians chapter 3. Gentile, Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free. He could have said male, female. Paul in these verses is saying it doesn't matter your ethnicity. It doesn't matter your educational background. It doesn't matter your economic uh, status. None of that matters. Your culture doesn't matter. When Christ saves you, you are chosen by God, you are loved by God, you are holy. That's what God has done. It's reminiscent of the book of 1 Peter where Paul says, where Peter sorry, says, we are a royal priesthood, we are a holy nation. We're God's special possession. Where again, Peter takes imagery used of Israel, he transposes it onto us. We're God's people. That is just something to pause and wonder at for a moment. Today, if you are saved, you are God's child, and collectively, we are God's people. We're his people. God, who's created and sustains all things, chooses to bring, to draw a people to himself to save. He loves to save. He delights to save for any who believe. And as he does so, drawing people to himself, saving those who believe. He grants us adoption into his family. He grants us covenantal promise and love. He grants us his sustaining strength. And he calls us his own. We are chosen. We are holy ones. We are dearly loved. We are beloved. And he says, now clothe yourself. You've taken off the garments of the world. You've been putting off, intentionally taking off the sinful nature but you need to replace it with something. You can't just leave yourself empty. You need to actually reclothe yourself. In essence, you can't walk around this world naked. Now clothe yourself with these types of characteristics. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. As he gets into this, it's reminiscence of Colossians 3, verse 1, where Paul says, Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Marcio preached through this passage, and as he preached through this, he reminded us that we've been raised with Christ, and because 
our lives are now raised with Christ, and that is our identity, we are to reflect the way that the risen children of God should live. And he says that is compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. What, what are these words? What is compassion? Well, compassion is showing sympathy, empathy, even pity, if you will. Kindness is being considerate. It's offering a good act or a good deed, a good word, if you will. Being kind is offering goodness to others, whether it's in word or in deed. Humility. Humility is a disposition, and it's a disposition in two ways. Humility is a disposition when it comes to reflecting on the Lordship of Christ. We are to be humble in that we are now servants of the Lord, bought by Him. And in our servitude, we are to submit to the Lordship of Christ. But it's not only that, it's also reflective. Humility is, is, is a disposition of, of, of submission to the Lordship of Christ, but humility is also reflective of what it means that everything I have done is for God's glory. Everything I have done is for the glory of God. And so as people sometimes come to me and they offer accolades, we should always be reflecting back to God has done this. God has done this through us. God has done this. This is the act of God. This is the work of God. When we take the credit to ourselves, we're not understanding what God is doing in and through us. Gentleness. It's a tenderness. It's a soft touch. It's delicate. And then patience. Patience. That's a tolerance, a, a long-suffering, an endurance, if you will. But these aren't just natural characteristics that some people seem to have a greater disposition toward. These are supernatural characteristics granted us now as children of God who've been raised with Christ. These are supernatural distinctives of God's people. This compassion, this kindness, this humility, this gentleness, this patience. These are characteristics that God's Spirit is longing to put on in us and then through us. We're to show compassion when someone has experienced injustice or they've experienced oppression, when they suffered atrocities or they've struggled with the disease, when a loved one of theirs has experienced death. We're to show compassion, to compassionately come alongside the people. We just offered compassion to hundreds of families at Christmas through our Christmas hamper ministry. We offered compassion to people who were struggling this time of year, some of whom were struggling because of what's been going on through COVID. Some were struggling because of life choices that have been made. Some because of oppression that has gone on in their lives. Some because of mental health illness that they have suffered. Other reasons. And we've come alongside of people compassionately. And at times, as we've come alongside of people and we've, we've listened to the stories of those that are receiving aid from us, our hearts should ache with pity for some. And we compassionately come alongside of them. When Abby and I and others were dropping off Christmas hampers, I entered the house of a young man who used to attend our, our children's uh, ministry years ago with his siblings. And as we entered into his apartment um, with his girlfriend and kids, his leg has been ripped to shreds over, well, not ripped to shreds, but it's been, it, it, it was torn uh, in a number of places. Ligaments were, were also torn. And so, and so the doctors have him in this large cast where everything's being put back together. And he was lying down uh, horizontally. And when I came in and asked him what was going on, uh, he explained to me the accident he'd been in, kind of some of the stuff that he was going through. And he said, you know, Dwayne, I just thought I was getting ahead. 
I, I just thought that maybe we were going to get out of this supportive housing, that maybe, you know, my job, and then all of this happens, and I, I, I can't work, and I can't this, and I can't that, and, and compassion, sympathy. We need to show kindness, because sometimes we know people who've been beaten down by the world. They're beaten upon at work. They're beaten upon in their marriage. They're belittled. They're mocked at school and other places. And God offers us the opportunity to show people kindness, a word of encouragement, a deed that helps lift them up. Because sometimes the onslaught of life, the enemy, the way in which the world works against us, it just beats on us. And in that exhausted and maybe even exasperated moment, someone just needs a word of kindness. Someone just needs someone to offer them some hope. Just previous to Christmas, we were assisting someone who needed some help um, with some rent. And as we were assisting them and kind of walking them through this situation, you know, they just began to tell the story. I, one of the things we need to do as we help people benevolently is we try to understand the story. What's caused this? And as I listened to this gentleman talk about the story so I could report to the elders and the finance team as to why we would help this person in this situation, and I just listened, you could just hear just life had beaten him down. He's like, I, I, I thought everything was going to be fine. I thought everything was going to be okay. And then due to COVID, all these job layoffs, and I didn't have enough hours. And then, you know, I don't make nearly as much on, on the CERB as I do regularly. And so then you're behind in everything, but you have some savings, but you eat up all the savings. And he's just like, just in this exasperated moment, he just, you could see here in his voice, he just, life had just beaten on him. We need to act in kindness with word and deed. In humility, in humility. Humility, which is both reflective of the fact that we know that we're under the lordship of Christ in that disposition, and it allows us to reflect for his glory anything he accomplishes through us. But do we act in humility when we have a difference of opinion with someone on a disputable matter, on the way we should handle certain protocols, on the way we should understand certain ways of living through COVID, on the way that we should have different approaches. Do we act in humility? Is the way we write, the way we blog, the way we Facebook, the way we message, the way we text, is it humble? Could people see us marked by humility? Now, this is an area I can struggle with. Sometimes I think I'm right. Others of you may understand that about yourselves as well. And I want to prove my point, prove my case, even if it's a matter of open dispute. I want to let people know that I have done the research to show that I think I am in the right. And then I hear other arguments at times that go, oh, am I in the right? And I realize that the way I have worded something, the way I have said something, the way I have, I, I, I have, I have actually uh, declared something hasn't been in humility at all. And so it needs to be humble in our approach, gentle, gentle. Offering a tender word, the soft touch. Some people live in a fragile environment. Their life is fragile. The way the world has beaten upon them, the way the enemy has come against them, the way they've suffered disease, their life is fragile, as, as if they're living on the edge of a knife all the time, teetering one way or the other to the, to the new life, to the old life, to the new life, to the old life. And they need someone to come alongside of them and gently offer them in their 
or fragility and their fragileness, a soft touch, a gentle, kind word, a source of encouragement. We need to be gentle in the way that we talk to each other about areas of disagreement, especially, specifically in areas of freedom, in areas where we're open to disagree, in areas of disputable matters, in areas where it's not about sound and unsound doctrine. Are we gentle in the way we come alongside of each other? And patience, patience, that we would show compassionate kindness to others. And this is another area I could struggle with. Am I patient in the way that I approach my family? Am I patient in the way that I talk to others? Am I patient in the way? And you know, if this was a one-off, if God was saying, as his people, you should show compassion every so often, you show kindness occasionally, Show humility as necessary. You should be gentle appropriately. You should be patient on occasion. We'd all go, okay, I can do that. God's saying, this is who you're to become. This is the characteristics. These are the characteristics you're to live by. This is who you're to be marked by. When people see you, this is who they're to see. When people see you, they're actually to say, wow, you are marked as a compassionate, kind, humble, gentle, patient person. And that's supernatural. That is an act of God. Because all of us can think of people that we're not very compassionate towards. All of us can think of moments where we're not very humble. All of us can think of times when our approach should have been kind or gentle and neither were the way in which we acted. All of us can think of times where our patience wore thin or even evaporated. And Paul's saying, now as you put on holy, dearly loved ones, those who've been chosen by God, now as you put on the qualities and characteristics of the God who has saved you, in all situations, continually live out your life with compassion, gentleness, humility, kindness, and patience. And so to that we say, Lord, we need your help. To that we say, I can't do this on my own. I recently had someone I was meeting with come to me and say, how do I work on a certain area of my life? I've had to do this a number of times in my life. How do I work on a certain area of my life? Sometimes it's around the fruit of the Spirit. A number of these characteristics are mentioned in the fruit of the Spirit in the book of Galatians. One of the things we can do today is take a, 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 a Bible gateway, which is like this great program online. You just Google Bible Gateway, you go on it, you get on the Bible Gateway, and you Google patience. You find all the times in the Bible where patience is mentioned. You spend a couple hours one day, you just kind of go through them, read them. You pick out the 10 or 20 passages that really speak to you around patience, around kindness, around humility, around gentleness. And then you spend the next month devotionally reading over those passages and asking God to take that quality by his spirit and embedding it in your character. God, I haven't been very patient, and so God, I really need you to just work patience in me. I need to put off this impatience, put off this anger, put off the things that I'm doing that are exasperating others. And God, I need to put on your patience. And the best way to do it is by taking his word and digesting it, by looking through a variety of passages that talk about whichever one of these words you want, humility, kindness, God, I haven't been very kind in my approach to others. God, I have not been very gentle. 
God, as I have come across some very fragile people and been very opinionated about COVID, I have not been gentle in my approach. God, I've not been very compassionate. We've helped that person over and over and over again. Why are they still in that same situation? Why are they still requiring need? Why can't they climb out of the pit? What's wrong with them? We begin to look at passages where either Jesus in his time with us through the Gospels is reflecting the characteristic that we're looking at, a godly biblical character is, or there's actual calling to that characteristic in Scripture. And we just begin to commit them to memory and say, oh God, would you take your word and take these characteristics and embed them in my life? Because most of us, for some of the time, can live these characteristics out momentarily. But it's supernatural to have them be a part of who you are. And so then verse 13, so bear with each other. That, that's the idea of endurance. Endure each other. And forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. And then he offers this, just this killer argument. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. He says, I want you to endure each other. I want you to know that there are times as you rub shoulders with other Christians, as you come against them or, or meet up with them in committee meetings or you gather in community groups, you're going to have difference of opinion. At times, you and someone else, you and another leader in the church, you and, and someone who's helping you run something in the church, you and other committee members of the church, you're going to actually have a difference of opinion. And it might happen more often than you'd like. Bear with each other. Bear with each other. Endure each other. And where there's been sin, where there's been grievance, where there's been wrong, forgive. Now note, it's interesting, Paul doesn't say, where you have wronged someone, you forgive them because they actually are the ones that forgive you. Paul's saying is where you have been wronged, where someone has wronged you, forgive them. If you've been wronged, Paul's saying you look after the restoration of that relationship. That's why he'll say in Romans, you know, as far as it is up to you or as far as you are able, live at peace with everyone. He puts the onus on us. He says to us, I want you, if someone's had a grievance against you, I want you to be able to forgive them. And notice it's not conditioned here by their requesting of forgiveness. It's not, not conditioned by that. Not mentioned. Simply says, forgive them. Forgive them. And then he says this, I want you to forgive the same way the Lord forgives. Whew. Well, that's supernatural, isn't it? I mean, I mean, how do we go about that? Forgive as the Lord forgives. I mean, I've used this passage so many times when I've talked about marriage or, or preached at weddings and talked about how this is Amy and I's pattern for marriage. It has to be that, that when I sin against her, I ask her for forgiveness. When she sinned against me, she asked me for forgiveness. And we need to learn to forgive as the Lord forgives. It's not easy. It's incredibly hard. Forgive as the Lord forgives. How does the Lord forgive? Comprehensively, completely. The Lord forgives entirely. It is great to know that one day when we stand before the Lord in judgment, he's not going to say to us, well, some of your sin was forgiven, but some of it wasn't. And so you need to now pay the penalty, the price, for this sin of which I can't forgive you. 
all of our sin completely has been forgiven. That's the argument of the book of Colossians. Christ is sufficient, more than sufficient. All of what he has done in his work is able to accomplish our salvation. His shed blood is enough that on the day of judgment, when God looks upon us, we will be completely entirely forgiven. Why in the parable of the prodigal son, when the prodigal son is coming home after he has sinned, and he's just practicing his, his speech, you know, Father, I, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Would you take me in like one of your hired men? And he's a long way off. The father who probably walked to that window multiple times a day saw his son from a long way off. And throwing aside all custom and culture, where the son should always run to the father, the father ran to his son. And the son's even trying to get the words out. The father doesn't stand there waiting. All right, where's the speech? Come on. As the son's trying to just blurt out what he's practiced, the father wraps his arms around him, begins to welcome him home, calls for a party, the fattened calf to be slaughtered. He calls for everyone to celebrate. Stop what you're doing. Those of you in the work field, stop what you're doing. Neighbors and friends, stop what you're doing. Everyone come, we're having a party. My lost son has been found. That's forgiving as the Lord forgives. Before the person who's wronged you, the one who has sinned against you, the one who has hurt you can even offer their forgiveness. You've forgiven them. You've forgiven them. And as they approach you to restore that relationship, you welcome them with open arms and you throw a party. You throw a party. Because that which was broken is being restored. So the question becomes, is there anyone in your life you need to forgive like that? Is there anyone you're holding bitterness against? Is there anyone you're holding resentment against? Is there anyone you need to forgive like the Lord forgives? Forgive as the Lord forgives. Who would that be in your life? Who in your life do you need to forgive as the Lord forgives? And then, over all of these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. There's probably two thoughts here. The one is the superiority of love, right? Of these three things remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Why? Because faith will become sight. We will no longer need faith one day. Hope will be realized. Our hope will be actualized. Our hope will be substance. But love will last forever. Love will never end where our faith will be sight, where our hope will be realized, love will simply last forever. We will bask in the love of God for all of eternity, knowing that's because of his love that he forgave us. It's because of his love that he acted compassionately, kindly, gently, patiently, and in humility towards us. Because of his humility that Christ would cloak his deity with humanity and come and live among us because of his humility that he would die for his very enemies, that's us while we were sinners. It's because of his humility that he would choose to grant us adoption into his family. We are children of God. We are heirs of God. We are co-heirs with Christ. We are his daughters and sons. 
And love, some people would say, is like the overcoat. It's like being out in the snow today and you put on your clothing and you put on an overcoat which covers everything, one of those longer coats. I bought one when I was 18 years old. I wore it for years. In fact, I worked for decades. And when my grandfather died in 2016, I wore it to his, his, his funeral, to the graveside. And uh, Amy and I were there, and I had it on. And uh, my mom, who bought me the coat, even commented that it may be time for a new coat. Now, it covered everything. The kicker for me was when we got to the, the we, I was putting it on, we were going to the graveside, and John Mahaffey, the pastor of West Highland, was taking the graveside. And John looked at me and said, you've had that for a long time. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. John, who I don't think has any taste, now that i got to be careful, people from West Highland could be listening right now, in clothing and the way that he dresses, except whatever Andrea buys for him, made a comment on my coat, and Amy got rid of the coat that day. It's gone. Coat is gone. She said the kids could keep it to possibly play detective with. But the idea is it's an overcoat. We need a coat that pulls everything together, and it's the bond of glue It's the super glue. It binds all of these virtues together. It's a loving compassion. It's a loving kindness. It's a loving gentleness. It's a loving humility. It's a loving patience. It's lovingly forgiving others. It's love. Oh, God, would you grant me a love for them? Oh, God, would you grant me a love? It's a supernatural love of God that comes through us to others. Jason, you and the team can go up. And as God chooses... To move in us, we realize that these old characteristics, because we've been raised with Christ, need to be put off. And these new characteristics, these new qualities need to be put on. And what would it look like? How would the world view us if the church was characterized not as much by what we're against, but was characterized as people of love who offer forgiveness in a way that no other people on earth can forgive? who are compassionate and kind, humble, gentle, and patient. What would it look like if every time at work you received an accolade for something you've done, you very genuinely and very humbly just confessed that this is because of the gifts that God has given you? Thanks be to Him. What would it look like if every time you were wronged by someone You work through the process of being able to forgive them. What would it look like if every time you gather with a committee group at the church and you had a strong opinion about something in an area that's open to dispute, that you listened carefully to what others were saying as well? What would it look like if you came across someone who was fragile and instead of walking over them like everyone else has done, you actually picked them up, you actually gently, with a very soft touch, encourage them? What would it look like if you have found someone who'd been just beaten by the world, the troubles, the difficulties, the challenges, and you offered them a kind word indeed? What would it look like if someone who everyone else had given up on, you granted compassion to? And what if you just didn't do it once? What if you just didn't do it twice? What if it was characteristic of how you lived, and more so? What if it was characteristic of how all of us lived at James North Baptist, and how all of us functioned? 
What if it's how the community viewed us as a community, the neighbors around us, the people of the North End of Hamilton? What if every time they looked in, all they could see was a group of chosen people who are holy and dearly loved, acting out of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, forgiving each other and bearing with each other, forgiving as the Lord forgave, and loving each other in a way that they knew was a love that no other human being could have for another except that God be the one who granted it. It would change everything. Would you pray with me? God, simply today, as we hear from your word, we confess, I confess, we can't do this on our own. So Spirit of God, may you work in us compassion, humility, kindness, gentleness, and patience. God, today people may have come to mind that we have not forgiven. Today, may you allow us to forgive as you forgive. And God, today we realize that our, our love just may be running short. By your Spirit, may you fill us with love. Love for you and love for others, which is the super glue that holds all of these virtues and qualities together. We need you, O oh God, and we confess we can't do this without you. So God, build us up by your Spirit. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.